Good morning, Creekside. Happy Easter. He's risen. He's risen indeed. All right, you're ready to go. You know, I can't remember many Easter's, or if any, where I saw snowflakes. They're gone right now, so that's good. Uh, but, you know, if you don't get a white Christmas, maybe you'll get a white Easter. So um, <laughs> we have a, a mo- great morning plan this morning. Uh, after this song, we're going to have the uh, children's choir, Generation Jesus, come up, and they're going to lead us in some songs. But uh, in the meantime, let's go ahead and all stand together as we sing uh, this next song. Good morning, Creekside family. Welcome to the Easter Sunday celebration program led by Generation Jesus Youth Worship Team. We invite you to join us in our celebration this morning, Jesus Has Risen. The start of this plan began a very long time ago. We, those born in this generation, have been chosen. We must proclaim the excellences of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for the ungodly. puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces 
and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Could you please stand and worship with us through this song?
please remain standing through this song. be seated. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were puzzling over this, suddenly, Two men in radiant apparel stood beside them. 
As the women bowed their faces to the ground in terror, the two men asked them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and when they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But their words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, and after bending down and seeing only the linen cloth, he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Yeah, help arrive that day. Yeah, 
Jesus and for their presentation of the story of Easter. It's good to hear it and exciting to see those young people sharing the truth and singing it and playing it and we appreciate all the help that has gone into and all the work that's gone in to make it happen. I also want to give another shout out to all the crew that helped put on the Easter egg hunt yesterday. Uh, many, many hands made a lot lighter work, but uh, Tom, uh, thank you, brother. That was a great coordination effort, and I know that a lot of other helpers put it in place. There was a group here uh, decorating the church on Friday, and they did, a, they did a stellar job, I think. A lot of people here early Saturday, so thanks for everybody, for all your hard work, and for Generation Jesus for bringing us to the place of uh, realizing the real meaning of Easter. I want to ask if you would bow with me as I pray and we'll uh, continue to worship through looking at God's Word. Father, thank you for this day, the day that we remember what happened over 2,000 years ago when your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus, rose from the dead. It is my prayer that uh, those of us who are here in person and joining online would be drawn into your presence, that we would understand more fully the truths of your word, and that we wouldn't just gain intellectual information, Father, but I pray that our hearts would be transformed. And I ask that you would do your work in each of us for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I was thinking about Today, and actually, if you looked outside, you'd say, okay, what, what signs of spring? Okay, uh, I want to know, how do you know it's spring? It's not. Well, the calendar, the calendar says it's spring, right? I mean, the robins are, are here, and uh, the trees are budding, and the flowers are blooming, and the grass is trying to get green, right? So we think that it's spring. But just because uh, someone said that it's spring doesn't make it spring. If there's anything we've learned over the last couple of years, it's that. That just because somebody says it doesn't make it true. And that goes 
from the schoolhouse to the White House to the CDC to the DOJ to social media. Uh, anywhere you look, just because they say it doesn't make it so. When our children were younger, I used to tell them when they'd, they'd go, before they'd go to school, I'd say, look, just because the teacher says it doesn't make it true, okay? You think I'm a bad parent. Well, I don't know. I'm, I thought I was trying to be a good parent. I, I wanted them to think on their own, to investigate it, just because somebody says it. See, the truth is rooted in facts. So if the facts substantiate what the person says, then we can... Uh, understand that that it's true okay always ask this question young people old people is it true is what that person said true now this morning I'm going to make an assertion I'm going to make an assertion that Jesus Christ died and that he rose again from the dead but just because I said it doesn't make it true Okay, just because I said it doesn't make it true. But what I would say, that he rose from the dead to pay the, and, and his death and resurrection pays the penalty for our sins so that all who believe will have their sins forgiven and will have the promise of eternal life. But is it true? See, Christianity, it's not too much to say that Christianity rises and falls on this reality. If it is true that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, then Christianity is true and we have to deal with it. If he didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity crumbles. There is no Christianity apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I would like us to examine some of the facts from the, from the Scripture to see if the evidence supports my claim so that there is at least enough evidence that we can go beyond reasonable doubt. Now, I don't pretend to think that just because the facts are laid out that people will automatically accept the reality and the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, that's a work of the Spirit of God. You still have to believe. There still has to be faith involved in it. But what I'd like to submit to you is that based on the passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning, that there is enough evidence to conclude beyond reasonable doubt that Jesus did die and rise again from the dead. And I'd like you to turn with me, hopefully, the, you know, and I, I would say this too, that uh, our conclusion this morning doesn't determine what's true. But I hope that the truth we examine will determine our conclusion and our response to what God's Word says. And so I'm going to invite you into a passage of Scripture at the end of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 15, where I see three convincing lines of evidence providing compelling proof of the resurrection. I believe it's a fact, not fiction. A fact that confirms Jesus is the Messiah, a fact that should comfort those who are putting their trust or their faith in Jesus, and a fact that com should compel those who are skeptics. To at least consider seriously 
what it means to put their faith through the trust and turn from their sins and, and, and put their into embrace Christianity. Now, for those of you who are new, welcome. We're glad that you're here, uh, and we want to thank you for coming. If you're here for the first time as a guest, there is a, a little extra addition to the bulletin. If you would, wouldn't mind at some time filling that out and putting it in the box, in the offering box as you leave today, that'd be great, because then we'd have a record of your attendance. We'd say thanks to you. For those of you who are regular attenders here, you'll notice that Last week, I was in Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 through 44, and now I'm in Matthew chapter 28. Well, that's intentional, okay? We skipped over a few. We're going to come back to the backstory of what we're going to talk about today, but today we're going to look at these lines of evidence that I think give us proof. And first of all, the first line of evidence that I think provides convincing proof of the resurrection is the activity of the angel. Now, I'm going to read the text, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 15, if you want to follow along. In, if you have your Bible, if you have your phone, if you have an app on your phone, or if you don't have one, if you look in the seat, underneath the seat in front of you, somewhere in the row, there should be a, an extra Bible. If there is, I hope there is, you can find your way to Matthew, maybe, and you can read along with me. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his garment was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here. For he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now while they were on their way, behold, some of the, guards, uh, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and counseled together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. We see the activity of the angels. Now the angels is active in a couple of different ways that I think support the reality of the resurrection. First of all, the works of the angel attest to the resurrection. Now, the backstory is that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, Mary Magdalene, from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons, and the other Mary, whom we know from Luke is the, or, or from uh, Matthew, uh, twenty-seven, she is the mother of James and Joseph. Okay, so they came to the grave. Now, what I'd like to say first of all is these women were not directionally challenged. Okay, uh, They didn't have to use Siri or Google Maps to get there. 
Because we know in Matthew chapter 27, uh, begin in verse uh, 61, that they were there when Jesus was buried. Okay, So this is not a case where these women went to the wrong tomb, which some would submit today is a discrediting of the resurrection. No, they didn't go to the wrong tomb. Now, in verse 2, it says, And behold, now I want you, if you care about doing this, in your Bible, every time you see the word behold, you can circle it, because there are five text alerts in, the, in, the, in this passage of Scripture. Behold, behold, behold. And this is the first one. Behold means, look here. Take note of this. So here's the first, take note of this. There was a severe earthquake, okay, a severe earthquake had occurred. Now, either before or coinciding with the coming of an angel, and Matthew is very clear, from heaven, okay? So there was this upheaval of earth, and it was a sign, uh, I think, uh, pointing to divine activity. Divine activity, some of which we already skipped over because uh, we'll go back there in Matthew chapter 27 when Jesus was on the cross, when it was finished, then the, the temple veil, the, the heavy curtain, thick curtain, was ripped in two and people came out of the tombs and now we have an earthquake. Okay? Now, uh, the angel didn't roll the stone away, as text says, earthquake, angel rolled the stone away. He didn't roll the stone away so Jesus could escape. All right. He rolled the stone away so they could see that he was gone. When I was a, a young boy, we uh, attended a church, and we had a, a couple in our church, Dwayne and Lois Holmes, and, and Dwayne was kind of like an eccentric guy, and he had this uh, uh, place on acreage, and they had all kinds of exotic animals and stuff, and they kind of lived like, uh, you know, Crocodile Dundee. You know, they were just kind of roughing it, and they had... Uh, had a church gathering there one night, and, uh, and the power went off, and then they informed everybody after the power went off that their pet tarantula had gotten loose sometime during the day. When the lights came back on, you know, they probably were opening the doors and opening the cabinet doors and everything, not to let the tarantula out, but to see if he was there. So when the angel came and rolled the stone away from the tomb, it was not so that Jesus would escape, but so that the people could see. And we notice <clears throat> that the appearance of the angel and the effect of his arrival, which is in verses 3 and 4, and his appearance was like lightning, and his garment as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Okay? So... All of that stuff doesn't prove a resurrection, okay? I'm not saying that that proves a resurrection. What it does, at least in my mind, prove is that something supernatural is going on here. We see that the shining like lightning and the, and the brilliance of their, their, their clothes is similar to what we find other places in Scripture when there's divine activity. Back in Matthew chapter 17, verse 9, at the Mount of Transfiguration, there was this brilliant light which Jesus appeared, and in, 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 uh, in Elijah and Moses came and appeared in glory, and Jesus was transformed. We see back in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 10 that these are the descriptions of angelic beings or God himself in Daniel chapter 7. So something big is going on, supernatural activity. So we have the works of the angels, which attest to the resurrection. Then we have the words 
of the angel, which attests to the resurrection. In verses 5 through 7, there are five angelic utterances that I think support the resurrection. Now, first, in, in verse 5, we have a clarification. And the angel answered, this is where I'm getting the angel talking, okay? And he said, which is interesting, what is he answering? Anyhow, ton of that. And, and he said to the women, do not be afraid. First of all, there's this clarification. He brings comfort in the midst of a chaotic and confusing situation, which, if you remember from verses 3 and 4, led the Roman soldiers, these tough, macho dudes, to be terrified and petrified. They were afraid, act like dead. So there was this massive earthquake. There was the rolling the way away of a stone. There was an empty tomb. And an angel showed up. Okay. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. And he didn't say this to the to soldiers. He said it to the women. Or, you know, don't be afraid. I care about you more than these other guys here. So don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus. Here's the clarification. You're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He was dead. That's what he's saying. This is the same guy. You're, you're in the right place. This is the guy who was dead. Jesus, who was crucified. You're looking for that guy. If my wife, Marla, would say to me, hey, Steve, Mike called. I'm going, okay, was it Mike Johnson? Was it uh, Mike Nicewarner? Was it Mike Grubb? Was it my cousin Mike? Who was it? You're looking for Jesus. This is the dude who was dead. There's a clarification. He makes it very clear. The angel spoke of the crucified Jesus. Then there's a proclamation that he gives. He says, after he, he, you say, he's, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus. He has been crucified. Verse 6, he's not here. He's gone. He's not here, but he doesn't stop there. He gives the reason why he's not here. Four, that's the reason. The reason he's not here, he's risen. So there's a statement that he is risen. That's the explanation the angel gives to the women as to why Jesus is not there. Again, that doesn't mean that that's true, but what it does mean is that's the explanation that's being given. So now we can trace out whether it's true or whether it's not true. He's given a simple statement as the force of fact that can be verified. When uh, I was in seminary and Marla and I were just married, we lived in a trailer park. You know, the kind of a trailer park where you can hear the people next door brushing their teeth uh, because trailers don't have much insulation and they're packed in there tight together. Uh, we had a, a neighbor named Gene, and uh, Gene would, would, would say, they're out to get me. They're coming for me. I know they're coming. Okay, Gene. With a force of fact, he would declare that the bad guys were after him. Didn't make it so, but could be verified. Here Jesus is declared to be risen from the dead by the angels. It's a proclamation. It's a forceful statement, but it needs further support. And so we go on in the text, and we have an assertion. It says he had, he had been risen, but there is this assertion that Christ had been risen. It was risen just as he said and. Fulfillment of a prediction. Okay. 
Just as he said, Christ had repeatedly declared, and we've seen it as we've gone through Matthew, he's repeatedly declared that he's going to be suffer and die and rise the third day. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Matthew chapter 17, verse 9. Matthew 23, Matthew 26. He keeps telling them, tell them. In fact, if you have your Bibles open, you look up at, at chapter 27, verse 63. Even the religious leaders knew that he had said he would rise from the dead. And, and, and they said, sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I'm going to rise again. So it wasn't something just that the angel fabricated. It was something Jesus had declared. And so now, is that really what happened? That's what he said. The assertion, again, doesn't prove the resurrection. But it's a pretty bold statement to make. If it's not true, because if it's not true, and he made the statement, then everybody's going to go, that guy's a nut job, you know? Who's going to listen to that guy? I like, and I've quoted this before, but I like what, well, you know, it needs other, other evidence. Wilbur Smith says this, but when he said that he himself would rise again from the dead on the third day after he was crucified, he said something that only a fool would dare say if he expected any longer the devotion of the disciples unless he was sure he was going to rise. No founder of any world religion known to men ever dared say a thing like that, except for Jesus. I mean, it's a bold statement. And the angel offers support for his assertion that Jesus is not here, but he's risen from the dead, and for Jesus' prediction of a resurrection through an invitation. Notice what he says next in the text, uh, end of verse 6. Come see the place where he was lying. Okay, I say he's not here. He's risen from the dead. Now you come and look and see if he really is here. And so he invites them. Come and see the place where he's lying. The tomb where Jesus had been buried and which had been secured by the Roman guards. Now that's the, that's the backstory. There was a Roman guard sent to secure the tomb. So the place where Jesus had been buried, the place that the Romans had secured the, the, the sent a guard to secure the tomb, was empty. And it still is. It still is. It was empty, and it still is. An empty tomb, again, is not conclusive evidence of a resurrection. But what he said next makes possible a verification not only of Jesus' proclamation and also of the angel's declaration that he has risen. Because we look now for an instruction in verse 7. And he says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen. Second time in two verses, he has risen. He's articulating this, this theory. Fact, theory, theory can be verified, right? So he says, he has risen from the dead. And behold, second text alert, take note of this, look at this, pay attention. He, you go into Galilee, he's going before you into Galilee, there you will see him. Behold, I'm saying this to you, okay? I have told you. So there we are, third text alert, all right? I have told you. Jesus told the disciples, he had told them in Matthew 26, go after I'm crucified and dead and rose again, go into Galilee, there you'll see me. All right, that's the instruction that was given. Jesus told them to go into Galilee. You know, I can say, well, in 2021, there was a derecho that went through Iowa. 
And then you'll have to Google what a deratio is because none of us knew what that was until uh, 2021, okay? And then I say, but it's, it's something, you, you can come and see the evidence of it, okay? And so we have pictures, you know, we, uh, some of us actually went out and looked and we saw the downed corn and the damaged uh, buildings and the, the, the trees that had been twisted and, and turned and some of you were out sawing limbs and doing all kinds of stuff. We can say there was a tornado that went through southern Iowa, Winterset, and, 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 and you say, I saw it with my own eyes. I have evidence of it. And the angel is saying to these women, go. Tell the disciples, go. And you'll see that what I'm telling you is not blowing smoke. I'm telling you the truth because you'll see Jesus. And he'll be there, and you'll see him. He says, behold, take a look at the evidence. And just go look ahead a little bit. Matthew 28, verses 17 and 18. It says, they saw him. Okay? And they worshiped him. Go and see for yourselves. They saw him, and they spoke to him. Okay, so that's the activity. Uh, that's the activity of the, of the angel which I think argues for the reality of the resurrection. Now we have the appearance of Jesus that argues for the resurrection. Three ways his appearance affirms the resurrection, I think. First of all, he physically revealed himself. Here's the fourth text alert in verse 8. And they departed quickly from, or verse 9, and they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And can you imagine? I'd be a little freaked out. You know, stone rolled away from the tomb, no body, angel, Romans are freaked out, the soldiers, and they're afraid. They're like, well, it, it sounds good, but, and I, I read one commentator said, it's kind of like your wedding day. <laughs> you know, you're afraid and joyful <laughs> at the same time, okay? So, and with great joy, and, and they laughed, and it says, and behold, Jesus met them in verse 9. They didn't even have to get to Galilee. They didn't even have, to, even have to get there. Jesus showed up. The risen Christ. And who did he appear to? Mary Magdalene. And uh, what's her name? Oh yeah, the other Mary. I mean, these are like, in the grand scheme of history, the most inconsequential people you could think of, and then the others that uh, you know, were read too, the other gospel accounts record that other women were there, Joanna and others were there, but like these are not the who's who of the, the Christian movement, right? They're just kind of like obscure people, and Jesus cared enough about them. That's his mercy. He cares enough about you. You are not, none of us, the the significant, consequential, important people in the world. But Jesus cares. And I think it's touching that he came and he showed up to them. And he, they saw him. Read the text. It says, Jesus appeared, greeted them. You just see Jesus? He didn't go like, here I am. He just... Hi, Mary. Hi, Mary. How are you? He greeted them. They saw Jesus. They heard Jesus. They touched Jesus. 
physical, tangible evidence. They touched the man, Jesus. And next, he personally received their worship. And then they worshiped Jesus as God. As only God is to be worshipped, Revelation 19.10. We do not worship men, worship God. He's the only one to be worshipped. We see this in Revelation chapter, chapters 5 and 6. Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and honor and worship and praise. He is the one to be worshipped. And they worshipped Him. They encountered the crucified God-man, Jesus, in bodily form, and He alone is worthy to be worshipped. Not a dream, not a hallucination. They, they, weren't, you know, they, weren't, uh, they weren't smoking stuff. Uh, not a disembodied spirit of something. They saw Jesus. Now, here's the kicker. If Matthew and the other gospel writers record this too. If Matthew and the other gospel writers were, were trying to fabricate a story about a resurrection, they wouldn't support their evidence, their main line of evidence wouldn't be using women as the testimony because women's testimony was devalued in their culture. Which, to me, lends credibility to the authenticity of the story. If you're going to make up a story, you're going to make it up as airtight as you can. They weren't worried about making an airtight story because they knew it was true. That's my submission, okay? Or my conviction that it is. These women, then, it's not just, oh, well, yeah, okay, a couple of women, three or four women, you know, they could have, you know, just emotionally been dreaming it up. No, because their testimony is corroborated by a multitude of other people who saw the same thing and touched the same Jesus and heard the same Jesus. Confirming beyond doubt, I think, that believers serve a risen Savior. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to put it up on the text. For I handed down to you as first important what I also received, that the Lord Jesus... Um, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And after that, he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared, now notice this, to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500. Brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So, it's not just the testimony of some emotionally charged women that people might count. No, 500 at one time. And you could investigate this. I mean, they could, there were ways of figuring out whether this actually happened. Had the resurrection been a hoax, it'd be ludicrous to assume that so many of these witnesses would undergo extreme persecution and some of them even be martyred because of their conviction about something that never really happened. They're not you know, drinking Kool-Aid here. They were aware of what was going on. I like what Pascal says. I believe the witnesses that get their throats cut. It's not a pretty picture. But if you're willing to die for it, it tends to lend credibility to it. And then finally, he powerfully reiterated the instructions. I find it very fascinating that Jesus said to the ladies the exact same thing as the angel had said to the ladies, but now the only thing intervening was he showed up. 
So what do you think they would be more in, juiced up about sharing? Something that the angels said, they were excited, they were going back. But now they'd seen Jesus, so now what's the impetus to go back and say, hey look, go to Galilee because then you're going to see Jesus. We know because we just saw him. And notice how he addresses, how he asks the ladies to address them. Look at, at verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. And take word to those guys that deserted me. The, the people who denied me. The people who made bravado statements about how committed they were to me, but turned coat and ran and put their tail between their legs and ran away from the Romans. No, to my brethren. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Go to my brethren, the people whom I love, the people for whom I died, and tell them I will meet them there. And finally, we have not just the actions of the angel, not just the appearance of Jesus, but we have the attempted cover-up, which testifies, in my mind, to the reality of the resurrection. The cover-up provides at least three indications of the credibility of the resurrection. First of all, the, <clears throat> the facts are disclosed. Excuse me. In verse 11, now while they were on their way, get it? Behold, final text alert, Something here that we should take note of. While they were, the, the soldiers, some of the guard came, and they shared what? All that had happened. <laughs> you guys are not going to believe this. I mean, we're guarding the tomb, and then all of a sudden there's an earthquake, and then the stone gets rolled, and then there's an angel shows up, and, and the guy's gone. Now, nobody there said, oh, you're making that all up. No. They didn't discredit what the soldiers had said. They witnessed something undeniably extraordinary. These people had been charged with guarding the tomb so that nobody would steal it. And now the chief priests and elders are saying, go tell the people and the leaders somebody stole it. That's weird. Circumstances had occurred for which they did not want to be held accountable, okay? They were looking for an excuse to get out of town and to get out with their lives. Were the seal on the tomb broken, or were the soldiers found in dereliction of their responsibility to guard Jesus, it meant only one thing for them. They were done. They would have been done, and, and they couldn't handle it. A guarded tomb was now empty, and the liability, I think, uh, gave credibility to the claim that Jesus had raised from the dead. And then it goes further, because not only was, <clears throat> were the facts disclosed, but the facts were disguised. Okay? And the religious leaders provide him with a generous uh, compensation and what I consider a lame excuse. Okay? Uh, kind of a, a lame explanation. Both of them were intended to cover up the truth of a supernaturally empty tomb. Now think about the absurdity of all. Oh yeah, <clears throat> we were sleeping 
which was an executable offense. So they're supposed to admit that they were doing something for which they could get killed for. And oh, by the way, while we were sleeping, uh, we didn't hear this massive stone being rolled away from the tomb. But we, in our sleeping stupor, recognized that it was the disciples who stole the body. And even if they were awake when the body was stolen, these are Roman soldiers and we've got a bunch of fishermen. Why didn't you go after them? Why didn't you follow them? Why didn't you secure the body that they stole? And then, oh, and by the way, we're going to rely on these uh, religious guys over here. They're going to cover our back. Because, you know, they can be trusted. And they're going to take care of us before Herod. I mean, like, yeah, like they have a lot of influence with Herod. Not so much. Verse 14. He says, and if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. The facts were disclosed, the facts were disguised, and finally the facts were dispersed. Verse 15, and they took the money and did as they had been instructed, and this story was widely, widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. And I think it's not just the story that the disciples stole Jesus that was widely spread, but the fact that the guards and the religious leaders collaborated to cover the truth was widely spread. That's my theory. Okay. And because it was widely spread, it only served to corroborate the truth. Everybody knows that you're making up a story. And so now we're really interested in finding out what the truth is, and we really believe the truth is that something you're disguising. I mean, it's Hunter Biden's laptop, right? And everybody says, oh, it wasn't his laptop, it's Russian disinformation, whatever the case may be. Now we know it's true, but everybody knows that was not true. But now we're really interested because it's widely spread that they said it was a fake, but now it's not. We know it's not. Oh, wow, we're interested now. I think Jesus' resurrection was something they tried to cover. And they could have disproved it at any time. All they had to do was manufacture the body. All they had to do was go find where he was at and, and say, look, this is all a hoax by the followers of Jesus. But they couldn't. Any one of these things doesn't prove it. But when you weigh the massive amount of evidence, it seems to me that there is substantial evidence to conclude beyond reasonable doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. Lord Lindhurt says this, I know pretty well what evidence is, and I tell you such evidence as that for the resurrection has never been broken down. Now, you can deny it if you want, but I think you have to deny a, a, a certain weighty amount of evidence. But nobody comes to the conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead. Nobody turns from their sins and, and trusts in Jesus apart from the, the Spirit of God working in them. So what are the results of the resurrection? If Jesus rose from the dead, here they are, at least some of them. First of all, our, our Lord certified his credibility. Jesus made good on his promise. He said he was going to die and rise again, and he did, if the resurrection is true, which I believe that it is. Proving that his word is true, and that he is true, and that he is really the authority over all of life. He has ultimate authority, which he's going to claim in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And he's proven that it is because... He just rose from the dead. So he should be the one that we listen to his word and we obey his word. 
Secondly, I mean, he, he, he's Lord. If he rose from the dead, which I believe that he did, I believe the evidence converts him, he's Lord. He's not a liar, he's not a lunatic, he's not a nut job. He's Lord, so deal with it. We have to deal with that. We can either reject it and say, forget it, I don't really care about this Jesus is Lord. Well, that's a pretty dangerous position. Or we can receive it and accept it and, and order our life according to it by submitting to him and following him. That's the choice that we have. Secondly, our Lord confirmed his identity. See, <clears throat> all through Matthew, we've been reading about the designation of Jesus as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world, as the divine King. But it's by virtue of his resurrection that he's declared to be these things. Romans chapter 1 Verses 3 and 4 <clears throat> says this. Concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared, now get that support, declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He leaves no doubt who it is he's talking about. Jesus Christ our Lord. So he is declared to be the son of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. Now, he may not be your Lord, but he's Lord. And we have to either reject it or align ourselves with it. I think the resurrection proved his identity. In the same way that I can pull out my driver's license and prove my identity. A valid driver's license proves who I, I am, who I say I am. And finally, our Lord conquered his enemy and ours. With the resurrection, without the resurrection, Jesus' life and ministry is a hoax. I mean, it's a joke. If there's no resurrection, it's all over. But he has risen from the dead. And in doing so, he conquered sin. He conquered Satan. And when Christ rose from the dead, he defeated death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the last enemy that will be abolished is death. The cause of death is and the cause of death, which is sin. He defeated death, and he defeated the cause of death, which is our sin, our rebellion against God. So he conquered sin, death, and the devil. Um, Scotty Scheffler uh, won the, uh, the Masters recently, okay? Victorious over the other competitors. Jesus is victorious over Sin, death, and the devil. And the hope of resurrection is that, that, that sinners deserving of judgment can share Christ's victory over sin and death. Not only now, but for what do I mean by that? You share his victory over sin. That means the power of sin in the life of a believer is no longer master. It's still influenced, but it doesn't have to be our slave. We have a choice as to whether we're going to be depressed. We have a, Now, okay, when I say that, I don't mean if you're in depression that all of a sudden you just choose not to be depressed, okay? But we, we have power over these things. We have power over our temptations. We have power over greed. We have power over uh, immorality, the temptations there. We can resist these things in the power of the Spirit of God. Because of the resurrection, He gave us power over sin now and ultimately power over sin and death because we'll be in the presence of God in eternity. And so it's a win-win. It's a win now. Because we have energy to live for God's glory now. We have promise of living with God forever in eternity. He conquered sin and death. Jesus, who has authority over life, death, sin, and Satan, 
has authority over us. But he loves us. And he's not going to make us serve him. But he desires that we serve him. And so how is it that we can join him in this resurrection power over sin and death now and forever? Well, we have to recognize, first of all, we're messed up people. I'm not a good person at heart. I'm sinful. I'm selfish. I'm greedy. I'm jealous. I covet. You know, and you break one of the Ten Commandments, you're done. You know, it's, it's over. It's toast. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's not a pat. It's a pass-fail test. Miss one, you're out. You deserve God's judgment. But the good news is that God didn't leave us there. We deserve His wrath and His judgment because of our wickedness. But because of His love for us, He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross and rise again, proving He had victory over sin and death. I don't know if you know this, but Kurt Warner, and I maybe have shared this before, Kurt Warner and his family, and he's a former NFL MVP, Super Bowl MVP uh, from Iowa. You know, there's a movie about him now uh, that is, uh, I haven't seen it yet, I want to see it. Anyhow, he and his family go out to eat, and whenever they're out to eat, they decide that whenever, one family in the restaurant they're eating at, they're going to buy their, their, their meal. Grace, grace, all grace. The people don't deserve it. They didn't do anything to earn it. They just do it. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for us. Kurt Warner and his wife pay for the people. Jesus paid for our redemption. He paid the ransom, the price that needed to be paid so that we could be delivered and free. And the proof of that is that he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And so we just have to trust it. We have to accept it. But the... You're going to get in your car and you're going to drive away from here. You're going to trust that your car is going to take you safely from point A to point B. You're not going to get in. You don't inspect the engine. You don't raise the hood. You don't check anything. If the lights and bells and whistles go off inside, then you do that. But no, normally you just get in and go. You trust. You put your faith in that car in a sense. Active faith. That's what it means to put our faith or our trust in Jesus. There's an active faith or acceptance. In his death and in his resurrection, Jesus provides all who believe, not everybody, but all who believe, with redemption, the price to bring us out of slavery to sin to him, and judgment, the judgment that we deserve. He provides us future resurrection, that we would join him in glory, and he provides us with eternal rewards in glory as well. We can be saved. How? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. What? Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For the heart you believe resulting in righteousness with the mouth you confess resulting in salvation. And my challenge to you on Easter is if you've never done that before, I ask you to take the evidence of the resurrection, let the Spirit of God work in your heart, and turn from your own self-directed life and submit to the life that Jesus has that will give you power and victory over your, your sorrow, your sadness, your, your, your greed, your jealousy, your anger, your bitterness, and ultimately over condemnation and hell. And put your faith and your trust in Him and become a child of God. What... What better thing? New life. That's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. New life. New life in Jesus. It's possible. And you know, uh, you can resist or reject it. But I believe the probability and the plausibility of the resurrection is great. That he is a crucified, risen, and coming king. I like the way Tim Keller 
uh, argues that, uh, he says, he aptly argues that secularists, people who don't believe in God or people who reject the resurrection, um, should want it to be true. I mean, you think about it. Most people uh, are, are lamenting like what's going on in Ukraine, right? That there's uh, evil people abusing people. We, we uh, lament injustice. We lament poverty. We lament uh, sickness and sadness and disease. And we, like, we don't like that stuff, right? But if we are all the, the products of random chance processes and there is no God who's in control, then what motivation do I have to help you? I'm worried about me. Keller goes on, he goes, why sacrifice for others if in the end nothing we do will make a difference? But in the resurrection, there is absolute motivation for caring and sacrificing ourselves for the sake of other people because we want them to enjoy the forgiveness and the new life that we have found in Christ. We want them to be cared for and loved because God loved us. We want to love other people. That's the appeal. So, if you're ready to accept the reality of the resurrection, I invite you, I challenge you to turn from your sin, your self-directed life, and trust in the Savior who died to set you free, that you might be free indeed. And all you have to do is say, Lord, yeah, I messed up, um, but I thank you that you died and rose and and that I accept your death as the payment I deserve, and I invite you to be my Lord, and now I surrender my life to you. Just what do you want me to do, Lord? How do you want me to live? Now, those are not magic words. God knows your heart. But you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus. And he says, if, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart, he has raised him for that, you will be saved. That's his promise, not mine. And you'll be delivered. Believers, if you're here and you know Jesus, then this is the time to rejoice. Because, man, we have power in the risen Christ. And Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that if, if, if then we have been buried with him through baptism, how much more shall we be raised with him to walk in newness of life? There's power to live for Jesus now. And there's the promise that when we, when we die, we're going to go to me with him in glory and we'll receive these rewards and inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for us. And so now there's also motivation to serve him, to rely upon him every day and to relate this good message to a lost and dying world. It's the best news. It's the best news. The symbols uh, that we're going to uh, take at communion, the bread and, the, and the, uh, the cup, they remind us of the price that was paid to purchase our pardon, which proves effective for all who believe, who are in union with Christ by faith. He died to satisfy God's wrath against sin, and he rose to secure new life and pardon for all who would trust him. And so it's our practice every Sunday to take the elements of communion. Nobody's pressured, but everybody who believes in Jesus is welcome. And so we're going to ask that during this next song, as the praise team plays, that you examine your heart. And if there's sin in your life, you can deal with, confess it as you can. And then as you feel led, I'm going to ask that if, if you feel led, and nobody's pressured, so you come up, and the elements are on the table up here. There's a gluten-free option up on this table, and there's a table in the back. You come up, take the tongs, get the bread, and then take the cup and drink the cup 
uh, as, and then go down and be seated. Or you can take the cup and the bread to your seat and, and do it there if you want. That's our practice. You're invited to partake of it. But we do ask that you be someone who's professing faith in Jesus and as much as you can be in a right relationship with God. And if you don't want to partake of it, that's fine. Nobody's judging. I'm not even looking around. I'm doing my own thing. But it's kind of a different thing for those of you who are in a a different church background because we do come up front. It's not so that we can be seen. We're not shaking and dancing in the aisles so everybody notices. It's between you and God. Let's pray. Father. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the evidence that you provide us. Enough evidence, Lord, that we would need to be trusting you. But enough evidence that we have a basis for our trust. It's not credulity, Lord. I thank you for that. And I thank you for the resurrection. I pray for each one here, if anyone doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would humble themselves. And not resist the prompting of the Spirit of God. They would turn from their sin and and cry out and trust you for the forgiveness of their sins, the promise of eternal life, and the hope and the joy of what it means to walk in new life in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. Hey.